my name is Johan Norberg and today is the 24th of May of 2018 and I'm here with Nick Salvatore at the Brooklyn Public Library for the Our Streets, Our Stories project at Brooklyn Public Library. So what's your Brooklyn story? Well, it began uh, on November 14th, 1943. I was born in Methodist Hospital on 6th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue in Brooklyn, in Park Slope. And um, I grew up in Park Slope um, uh, between 43 and uh, uh, really 1964, I think. Um, uh, I, I uh, went to, uh, I grew up on 3rd Street between 6th and 7th Avenue. And uh, as I found out as I grew up, um, 7th Avenue was in the 1950s, uh, 40s and 50s, something of a dividing line. Above 7th Avenue were the rather um, wealthy homes of, uh, uh, of folks who uh, lived on tree line streets and etc. And mainly were, prof not all, but were mainly professionals. Uh, below 7th Avenue, certainly down to uh, 6th, 5th, 5th Avenue even, uh, were um, apartments, working class, lower middle class folks. My mom was a secretary, for example. Um, and, uh, and so I, I knew above 7th Avenue mainly for two reasons. Uh, one, first even as a young kid, my mom sent my brother and I to St. Xavier's uh, Catholic School, uh, and that was on 6th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. And so I, I was in that neighborhood frequently uh, above, above 7th Avenue. And also, um, uh, when I was a newspaper delivery boy, when I was a little bit older, and I was 12 or 13 delivering the World Telegram and Sun, I had a, a, a route on delivering the paper from 9th Avenue, uh, Prosper Park West, down to 4th Avenue um, uh, on President Street uh, in, 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 uh, in Park Slope. So, um, I, 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 you know, I lived on the block uh, uh, between 6th and 7th on 3rd Street, and um, it, was, it was really interesting in a way. You, you, you think now of questions of uh, security and uh, the way in which... One of the things that I, I, I went back uh, recently with my brother to just look at the, the facade of, of the apartment building is still there. It's, it's, uh, um, we're told, he, he lives here in Brooklyn and so he knows more about it than I, but he was telling me that it's uh, f uh, much more a upper middle class apartment setting even. Uh, or middle upper middle class and a different and it was funny because I went we went up to the front door and there there there's a whole set of buzzers and security yeah. stuff and you need a password or something I don't know but the point it was was is that I looked and I said to him I said Mike my brother yeah. uh, on this side of the, of the house was Mrs. Kinsella on this side on the first floor on this side was Mrs. Cunningham. The two of them spent the spring, summer, and fall resting at, at different times, resting their arms on a pillow on the windowsill. And if you messed up at the slightest bit, my mom was working, 
Mrs. Kinsella or Mrs. Cunningham would say, I'm going to tell your mother when she comes home. I mean, she, they, they were the police. <laughs> and of course, that, that doesn't quite happen there any, any longer. And uh, it's, a, it's a different uh, f framing. I don't know what it's like to be a kid on that block anymore. But we used to play in the street all the time. And, that's, and Third Street is, uh, between 6th and 7th, is actually the widest part of Third Street of, of, it, of its whole span. And apparently, I found out more recently, that was supposed to be for um, the, the Sunday promenade of the wealthy, that they wanted to be able to come down from the hill, uh, down from the slope, and come into this broad kind of area that would, wouldn't, this was back in the, in the 19th century. Um, be that as it may, the, the other thing that I didn't know about when I was a kid, but which I have become sharply aware of as an, as, uh, for, for many years now, was the fact that the area I grew up in and I, uh, was almost had no people of color. Um, this is in the, in the late 40s and the 50s. The only black person I ever met was a man who I only knew by his first name, Clem, who was, who, when I was maybe eight or nine, uh, would, would hire me for 10 cents or 15 cents because the coal was delivered uh, for the furnaces the, uh, in the basement. The coal was delivered periodically, whatever it was. And he needed somebody with a shovel to make certain that the flow kept going because he was downstairs making certain it went into the proper place or wherever it was supposed to be. But nobody ever, I, I never knew where he lived or anything or anything like that. Now, I'm, I'm, many, many years later, I'm an historian and I'm actually doing a book about Brooklyn and about race. And one of the things I've found out is, is that in the time I was living there, in the mid-50s especially, um, there was about 93% of the, of the of Park Slope was white. Um, and there were very few African Americans and very few Puerto Ricans. And um, so, so that was one kind of way of, uh, but that was, that was after the fact. That was, I was already an adult and that's when I began to put that together. When I was 12 or 13, I had the first run-in with uh, a, 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 what you would call racial tension. I was, de I was delivering my papers, and I was, it was collection day, and I was coming down from Prospect Park West, working my way down the 4th Avenue. And when I got to 4th Avenue, I got surrounded by, and I only knew it as by Tito and his gang. I was, and again, Puerto Ricans were beginning to move in, and there was this built-in antagonism uh, to, I mean, Puerto Ricans were allowed to only live in certain areas of Park Slope, and, and I now know as an historian that there were very clear uh, agreements made by realtors to keep blacks and P Puerto Ricans, if in the neighborhood at all, in very specific places. Um, and they they wanted my money, of course. They, they knew it was Friday, they knew I was a, I was a 13-year-old, 12-year-old kid, it was never a good fighter. Uh, and so um, uh, I, 
It was really, in retrospect, it was very, very funny. I did the only thing I really knew how to do, which is I talked. And, but what I did was, I, this was also during the era of the Gallo-Profaci wars, the, uh, amongst the various sections, within, battling sections within the Mafia. And I found myself spouting out stuff that I, I, I was making up. I didn't know about, about Joey Gallo, and he lived two blocks down, and they could do whatever they wanted to do to me, but Gallo was going to get them. I didn't know Joey Gallo. You know, but they—it was convincing. Maybe that's where I did. That's that's where maybe that's where I I, I learned. Maybe I, I I should be an historian or be a professor yeah, yeah. or something like that. But in any events, but 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 that tension was beginning to really develop, um, and I had no understanding of it at that time at all. Uh, I was protecting my money that I had worked all week for. That's essentially what I what was my my approach, but. You know, uh, the the area really worked hard, and this was even kids. I can remember we had a gang on 3rd Street, and we fought the kids on 4th Street and all of that sort of stuff. Nothing serious in terms of weapons or anything like that, but... but uh, and none of us ever raised... I mean, you know... It, there was never an under, a, a sensibility, there was never a consciousness expressed that, hey, where are other people? Where are, you know, we knew, we, the perception at the time was that they were, quote unquote, invading our territory. I mean, so in that sense, you, you, you uh, I, I saw that. I, I was certainly for a period of time, uh, I, I had no way to understand that except my mom. My mom kept on telling me, and she used this man Clem, the janitor, as a way to, uh, to do it, to talk about him, to talk about his dignity, to talk about, and she knew very little about him too, uh, uh, but talk about his work and 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 that he probably could do other things. I just didn't have enough of a context to really understand. So um, it came f for me um, uh, a by nineteen sixty two sixty three. I had finished grade school. Of course, I had gone. My my mother. Uh, got me a, I guess, you wouldn't call it a scholarship, but they, she got me a free tuition to Brooklyn Prep High School, which was a Jesuit high school, because she, she, told, she told me years later that she told the priest that uh, I was her wild one, and, and, I, and my dad had died, and it, he, meaning me, needs the firm hand of the fathers of the Jesuits. And uh, it worked apparently, and because she didn't have the money to send me there, it was a private school. Um, and uh, so I, I, I went, and um, uh, and then when I, <clears throat> I went to Fordham University for a year and a half, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was still living at home in Brooklyn community. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was a Latin and Greek major. Why? <laughs> I had no idea. Um, and so I dropped out, and that, of course, caused great problems at home. 
But I, I dropped out and I got a variety of jobs. But I, and one of the jobs I got was as a messenger boy in a printing firm in downtown Manhattan, working the five to one shift in the uh, afternoon, evening. And I met these two anarchists who were also uh, doing the same thing I was. We were the, we were the messenger team. And uh, talking with them was just an eye-opener because I simply had no idea. I, well, I didn't know what anarchism was or what any of that stuff was. But it was, it was the beginning of an education. And then a, 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 another person who worked at the firm who was a linotype operator when you had the hot uh, letter, you had to have the actual printing process was done through the linotype. He said to me, hey, what are you doing tonight? It was one o'clock in the morning. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we were both young, had money in our pockets, and it was New York City, so I, I hadn't thought yet, you know. And he said, well, there's a demonstration over at City Hall. Uh, uh, and we were right near City Hall. I said, for what? And he said, well, they, they're demonstrating because... Um, uh, African Americans are, are not being uh, allowed into um, to work on the Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn that was then in the process of being built. I said, that's unfair. And I remember vividly that as I walked over there with him, he was much more uh, aware of what, these, what were behind some of these issues. Uh, but as I walked over with him and we decided to go to the demonstration, um, I remember think, saying to him that, you know, Shelley, um, the city, and I used the phrase, the city fathers just don't know about this. And so it seems to me it's a good idea to go and demonstrate and, and let them know about it and they'll fix it tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, completely naive. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's, that began an involvement with a series of civil rights organizations, partly in Brooklyn and partly in Manhattan. Um, and I supported myself with, I ultimately became a member of eight, local 808 of the Teamsters Union and um, uh, uh, was a trucker's helper and, and, and was spending a lot of time um, uh, in various uh, with various people in terms of po politics and, and the civil rights movement and what have you. And I, I was a member of Brooklyn Corps uh, from about 1963 to 65 or something like that. And um, got arrested at Downstate Medical Center in 1963 along with 700 other people. I mean, it was a massive demonstration. Um, and that began to open my eyes really uh, in a lot of ways. I met a guy through Brooklyn Corps by the name of Bill Mackey, who's now deceased. He was um, a he was African American. He was a tank commander in World War II in the segregated troops, uh, and he was in training in Mississippi. And he told me a series of to, what to me were just astounding stories of. Uh, at one point, rolling his his unit's tanks to the uh, to the gate of the of the uh, uh, tr uh, the army base, um, because he had gotten a phone call that some of his people who were on leave in town were being trailed by a bunch of whites who were armed. And they were all African American. 
he was prepared to, he said, to go in. So this is Bill Mackey, and we're, we're going to go take a walk through bed one day. He was a photographer by this point. And a, a hot, muggy July day. And as we come out of his apartment, I look at him, and in his shirt pocket, he's got enough paper to sink the Lusitania. I mean, it's just an enormous amount of paper. I said, Bill, it's really muggy and lousy out in that sense. Uh, why don't you leave all that stuff home? And he looked at me and he said, boy, in the African-American meaning of that term, boy, you don't know nothing, do you? He proceeded to tell me how many times, as a black man with an expensive camera, he had been stopped and frisked and jacked against the wall by cops. Yeah. I had never heard, again, the innocence, if you will, uh, but it's an innocence that was culturally um, encouraged. Um, and, uh, and so that began my involvement with, with Brooklyn Corps, of which I was never a leader or anything like that. But I, um, but I was really kind of I was committed to that that process. And when Brooklyn Corps began to go through some of its changes in um, 65, 60, 60, late 64, 65 period, um, I um, by the, uh, by this time I was no longer in the team. Well, no, I was. I was still in the Teamsters actually. Um, but I, I, I decided I, it, it, was, it was changing in, a, in what I now would be able to identify as a, a more nationalist approach. And it didn't seem that there was much that I could possibly do uh, at that point. And what I do is I, I did find another group, and I forgot now how I got attached to it, but it was a group called the Harlem Parents Committee. And it took me out of, I, I still lived in Brooklyn, but it took me out of Brooklyn um, uh, to... Uh, 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 to be involved in it, but uh, there was a, 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 a Japanese-American family living in Harlem by the name of Bill and Mary Koshiyama who were very, very active. And they had Friday night gatherings at every Friday night. Uh, you just bring a bottle and uh, anything you wanted, from soda to whatever. And um, people just People just sat around and talked, and made, we met. That's where. That's. I think that's probably where I learned about the Harlem Parents Committee, and so I ended up working with that committee for a period of time. But I, I still remained in Brooklyn, and uh, but one of the things that did begin to happen was is that some I lost some of the friends part of, uh, that I had from Brooklyn, partly because uh, by the time we were all finishing high school, we went. To, different ways, and partly because um, my attitudes on what race meant had really changed somewhat sharply. And uh, a couple of friends that I had made it very explicitly clear to me that they didn't particularly want to talk with me any longer because this was not the way they saw the world. And so that, so that it was a mix of things. but. Um, uh, in so many ways, both in school, but also, frankly, in in um, uh, in the political activity, uh, the person who I am today was really molded here. 
in, 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 in other obviously important ways in terms of my mom and, and, uh, and some of the people on the block who... Um, and I, I, if I can go back to that for a minute, I think that that was one of the things that it did strike me um, before I understood anything about race, was is that I talked about Mrs. Kinsella and Mrs. Cunningham, but it was Mr. Maltese next door who was a, a dispatcher for a trucking company, worked the night shift, so he was around during the day. And he appointed himself the cop of the kids. And he just, but he didn't like try to direct us, but he just, if we started to mess up, he came, he said, hey, wait a minute, you know? And there was that quality on the block. Uh, it was mainly um, oh, white ethnics. Some, okay, I think there were two, I'm going to identify them by religion, which tells, also tells you something. There were two Protestant families on, uh, uh, on, uh, on my side of the block. Uh, that I knew of anyway, and everybody else was Catholic in, in, in some degree, and I went either to St. Francis uh, down on 6th Street, 6th Avenue in Carroll, I think, or St. Saviour's yeah, for grade school, and then they went to different places for, 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 for prep school. Um, manual training high school, now it's John Jay, but manual training uh, was right up on, on 7th Avenue uh, between... Uh, Fourth and fifth, third and fourth, one, fourth and fifth, I think. Um, but uh, my mom knew uh, she would. She said, "You, my two brothers, you, 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 none of you were going there because there was um, uh, had a reputation for shootings and uh, in the fifties and difficulties." Uh, Joe Pepitone, one of the Yankee first basemen at the time. Uh, actually went to manual training and got into some mess, some mess which made the newspapers, uh, especially later after he was, uh, he was more famous as a baseball player. But in any event, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I learned an awful lot from that neighborhood that I lived in because, um, and again, the adults there really had a framing for, for watching out for each other's kids really is what it came down to. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I also came to understand how little I actually knew about the world around me. So it was a, it was a combination, really. Yeah. 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 And now you're researching a book about it. I am. Um, I, I've, I've been an historian. I've done three different biographies. And this time I'm not doing a biography, but I'm doing a book that right now has the working title of uh, A Matter of Miles, Bedford-Stuyvesant, Park Slope, and Race in the Borough of Brooklyn. And um, I'm, I'm a couple of years away from, uh, uh, from finishing it. I'm still in the research stage, and, but, um, but if my, uh, I, I would hope in the next three or four years I, I will have it done. I'm, uh, uh, the writing process for me is, um, I do a lot of rewriting, and so that just takes time. But uh, I'm learning an enormous amount about, uh, uh, about the Brooklyn I grew up in, and also the Brooklyn, for example, in terms of Bed-Stuy, that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about Brooklyn today? You're not living here, but... I'm not living here. Uh, it seems to me to be... Um, 
and I don't mean to idealize this, but it seems to me as an outsider now, really, it seems to me that um, there's far more um, integration in work-related issues, etc. Um, I think it's still somewhat complicated on residence, residence um, and I, uh, uh, that's my impression. Uh, and um, I don't know. I don't. You know. I, I. I don't know the patterns now. When I read the newspaper, and when I uh, go into um, Bedsty, one of the things that does strike me is the enormous amount of white people I find. And then I begin to find out about um, uh, rent yeah. and costs. And I'm realizing that, you know, so the bed I'm writing about and researching about, because my, my book will end in the in 19, end of the 1970s, it doesn't exist any longer in the same way, uh, you know. And so um, I'm trying to um, understand that a little bit, and not because I'm going to end up writing about it, but because I just, what a transformation. Really, what a transformation. Um, so, uh, I, it's hard for me to say. I, I come in and I, I, I'm a tourist in some fashion, and, and I, I stay with my brother in South Brooklyn and, uh, and uh, down near the canal. And again, a gentrified, there used to be, you know, uh, heavy industry and um, um, very low cost and very run down tenements. And now it's like, my lord. <laughs> you know? So it's hard for me to really gauge what, 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 what it would be like uh, to be, you know, to be living, even as an adult, to be living on one of those blocks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you see in Brooklyn, in the 50s and in the 60s, yeah. uh, could you think of any advice for future generations coming to Brooklyn or... Well, Brooklyn has, I think it's fair to say, has always had a very um, strong, but in part I also mean defensive, ethnic identity. Yeah. Uh, ethnic identities, really. Um, and if, and it's an if, if, we can't change the past in what in terms of the way those lines were drawn and the way uh, most of us, uh, most most of the white kids in Park Slope grew up. Um, but if if we could kind of continue to really break down the uh, those barriers, not to deny anybody's race, ethnicity, or anything, but to but to affirm a larger sense of our commonness as human beings trying to figure out what we're doing here and how we're doing it, uh, that would really be wonderful. I mean, that's a pie in the sky in certain ways, but, but uh, and I think some of that has happened. I think that there have been a, 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 a significant number of white people of um, my generation, but and, and I think especially younger, who have learned different things over time and certainly um, 
you can't go back and relive what, what has already happened. But I think that if, if we can learn from the, 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 what I would call the negative consequences, many in 1950s in the white community saw it as very positive consequences of, of the segregation, of the, you know. And everybody talks about, you know, the Dodgers and the Brooklyn Dodgers and Jackie Robinson. Well, that's true in some ways, in the sense that the first time I high-fived anybody of color was at, at a, in the bleachers at Ebbets Field when I was a kid, and he was sitting next to me. And you know, but that—that's not magic. Uh, that we, we, I think many commentators about the Dodgers and about Brooklyn have given themselves and Brooklyn a free ride because just proximity doesn't mean anything because there are structures that are in place and unless the structures are revamped and, and I mean that's what I learned after the fact from my, my youth, about my youth and I think that if we learn that and continue, and we have in, 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 in numerous ways, I'm not suggesting we haven't in some ways but if we just keep that path going uh, and broadening, uh, because um, there's clearly, I mean, a, a vitality in this ta in this area that is wonderful, uh, and. Uh, so is there anything uh, you wanted to talk about today that we didn't get to? Hmm. Well, one story that may, that always is funny for me because here I am working now in the Brooklyn Public Library as a researcher, not, not for the library, for my own work. And when I was 14, I spent a summer in the basement of this library with about seven or eight other kids my age, both boys and girls or young men and young women. And I don't know whether we did an ounce of constructive work, but we had a wonderful time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, there are many reasons to thank the Brooklyn Public Library, and as an as an adult and a researcher, I have enormous ways of thanking them. But as a kid, you, you also gave me a good time. <laughs> okay, so maybe we have talked about everything. Yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, I, Best I know. Yeah, okay. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, um, Johan. Yeah, on behalf of Brooklyn Public Library. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Good. I'll have a great Good. day. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Good. <laughs>